You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Hi, everyone. So this month, Frankie and I have gone out more than I feel like we have in the last four months. And it's been a beautiful, inspiring thing. We were fortunate enough to see the invited dress rehearsals for The Inheritance on Broadway, uh, which is by a friend of ours, Matthew Lopez. It's a two-part play. It's really exciting, epic, and it's employing so many actors right now. Please go see it if you can. It's incredible what he's been able to do, and I know tickets will get more expensive after previews, so try now if you have the chance. We also saw Bon Iver at Barclays Center this past weekend for our anniversary. We were celebrating 13 years together, 13 years, and we are that couple that celebrates the anniversary of when we first started dating, as well as our wedding anniversary, because for now, one number is so much larger than the other, and we're not ready to give up any of those years. So that concert was gorgeous, and I'm seeing Soft Power at the Public Theater this weekend, which has Raymond J. Lee from episode 125 in it. Looking forward to that. And then I'm going to a Jenny Lewis concert next weekend. Um, So now the challenge is, what do I do with this inspiration? What sort of outlet can I turn it into? I need to find a new artistic outlet. I'm feeling itchy with the day job, missing acting, needing new hobbies. So that is my my, um, problem to solve. I will keep you posted. A reminder that The Compass is now a part of Broadway Podcast Network. They have tons of cool theater podcasts, especially musical theater and Broadway-focused podcasts, so go check them out at their website. My guest today is Sharon Halevi. Sharon is a painter, director, and teacher who I met through mutual actor friends years ago. She worked at the beloved drama bookshop at the time, and I was always happy to see her whenever I went in, and we lived in the same community. And I've watched from a distance as she's transitioned from primarily a performer to a director and coach and teacher, and to now having painting be her main mode of expression. And I was fascinated by her evolution as an artist and how she's been able to make the move out of her day jobs recently and support herself through her art. Very excited to have her on. Please go check out her Instagram. It's at art underscore by underscore Sharon. And that way you can have a picture in your head of um, what we're talking about when we discuss her work. I hope you enjoy the 145th episode of The Compass.
So I, that's a really funny question just because it was painting and still kind of is. I, I fell into painting in a really, really difficult time in my life. And I was in a a beautiful but really tumultuous relationship and Mm. my career was kind of all over the place and I was having difficulty balancing different projects that I wasn't really in love being a part of. And I started, I I don't even know why, I just was like, I'm going to grab this Sharpie and do a big sketch on a canvas because that's normal. And then... I hung it up and it started to fade really quickly in the sunlight. So I thought I'd paint over it. And I found that it was such a tactile way of dealing with my emotions and problem solving. And even to this day, even though I'm being paid to do it, it brings so much comfort and time and space to think and process and do things and know other people's stories as well yeah and I find it really wildly soothing and especially since it's on my own time I never do it if I'm out of it or if I'm not doing well with it and I think that was the magic of a hobby turning into (laughs) a career yeah Uh, yeah I think it's also taught me a lot about patience in times of difficulty and that's what I really try to carry because then sometimes even painting is hard to do. And the, the funny thing about the phrase watching paint dry <laughs> is it's such a real, real part of the process. Because if you keep going, you'll muddy things or you'll harm the painting in a, in a bizarre way or it turns brown. And having to kind of sit back and truly watch things take on a different texture harden and kind of solidify became such an amazing tool in my day-to-day life Mm. Uh, and I find that if I'm in a moment that is harder and can be put together inside of whatever emotional things that I personally have or what's happening in my career it's like all right just wait for paint to dry and I'll let myself sit Yeah. yeah it sounds a little meditative yeah like an excuse to make yourself slow down like that yeah I think I used to be someone that was like man if if I'm not always doing something then I'm failing if I'm not constantly running and proving that I'm working on three shows Mm -hmm. and that I'm teaching and look at all the money I'm making and Instagram (laughs) I think (laughs) it it got to a, a place where I was just continuously burning myself out yeah yeah and I and it's funny, like, what is meditative? I've, like, come to be reading a lot more books again, which I think I did a lot, when, not I think, which I did do a lot when I was younger. And I'm nonstop reading stories and reminding myself that it's okay to do that as well and to focus on stories that are not my own. And that's been also really, really nice, especially in yeah. such a secluded job. I miss that, and I recently finally made it through a novel. Like, I've literally, especially in the last year since the baby was born, I will check things out of the library. I'll request things and check them out repeatedly yeah. and never read them. Yeah. And so I finally made it through a novel that I was really enjoying and that, like, caught me. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is how I spent 
every second of my childhood and young adulthood and like right. you know before technology really yeah. took over and I, I have missed to it it's such a real yeah. yeah it's such a real thing and I think especially being people in the arts right where mm-hmm. it's like oh right it's not a waste of time no no it just breeds empathy and history and what's that Twyla oh gosh here I am what's that Twyla Tharp quote where she's like the person you'll become in five years depends on the I'm totally botching this but depends on the people you meet and the books you read yes I read that recently that yeah quote. yeah <laughs> and it's just it's such a great I don't know mm. I love it I think it's so good what book I have to ask uh where the crawdags sing oh I've been wanting to read that yeah it was yeah. it was good and it moved very quickly I yeah. will say I requested it from the Queen's Library through the Queen's Library app which I love Ooh. um did not notice when I hit I just searched for it. Somebody recommended it, and I tapped it. I went to pick it up. I somehow requested the large print edition. <laughs> so I felt like a little old lady the entire oh time gosh. I was reading it. That's amazing. I, I made it through. Oh, I love that. That's really funny. <laughs> I'll have to get some recommendations oh. from you before a- I leave. Anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I say the dark side, yeah. what does that mean for you most often? Hmm. I think for me, it means two things. One is the dark side that is that world of when I find that I'm I'm speaking to myself in the way I would never talk to other people, where it's like, wow, you're a you're a failure, or wow, you're mm-hmm. uh, that was so stupid, that was really dumb. Why are you doing that? Screw you, Sharon. <laughs> You know, it's, it's those times where it's actually a little harder to look in the mirror. Um, and that can usually reflect based on, I feel lonely and single or man, my, this word career is not where I want it to be. And other times it has to do with a very real, this might be too much information, but a very real kind of depression Uh and that I struggle with and I have PMDD and that can which I don't know if you know. I don't. It's a premenstrual dysphoric dysfunction. Oh, so okay. a lot of women have it and don't even know. And it's a type of depression that becomes chemical based around your PMS. Yeah. Uh, and when those bits happen, they latch onto the smallest insecurities in my life. Oh my God. And I'll enter these fugue states and I'll call it like the, the kitchen sink syndrome where I'll be trapped at a sink with a sponge and three hours will go by and I won't have touched a dish. So, and I find that similar things and ways to get out of it. It's that same rule of patience, but it's really dark sometimes on either front, be it the darkness. That's like this, it's not small, but the parts that are like, Oh, things aren't going the way I want them to versus the dark side where it's like, nope, I need to not talk to people and I need to hermit. And then mm-hmm. usually like this things. actually physically needs to pass. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which feels strange to have to sit through as an adult. <laughs> you know, something that I struggle with is kind of that line of, the good advice that you hear mm. about your mindset and staying positive and thinking 
you know, that what's yours is going to come to you and Mm. not comparing yourself to others, like those things that we know we should do. And then also the idea that there's some sort of, um, like justice Mm. in the things that you've, I I guess maybe it's a question of like, um, practicality and like faith. Mm. Do you ever wrestle with that? (laughs) Yeah. Talking about that first thing you mentioned of like, yeah, where why the things aren't where you want them to be or things like right. that. Right. Well, I think that I, it's so funny. I was thinking a lot recently about where I've, who I am as an artist. I had someone ask me the other day, as an interview, and I thought this was so beautiful when they were like, when I think of you, what should I think? Huh. As opposed to, so who are you as an artist? And I, I thought that was such a wonderful way to consider how I present myself to the world. And I bring this up because when I was younger and for so much of my young adult life, I thought I was going to be one thing. I was like, you're going to be an actor on Broadway and Mm -hmm. that's it. Nothing else matters. (laughs) And I was in and out of different conservatories and I was working professionally and this bizarre, and I, not to, not to sound cocky, but I was very, Talented. I was a very talented young mm-hmm. performer. Um, it's because I worked my my ass off very much. So I didn't have that many friends in high school because of how much I was. Did you grow up in New York? I did. Okay. Yeah, I went to PPAS. Oh. Yeah, that crazy, crazy place. <laughs> um, I just got to direct, which was crazy. Did three sisters with eighth graders. It was oh my very, goodness. very silly. <laughs> um, but I. Uh, Unfortunately, a series of events happened in my acting career that ended up really, really hurting me emotionally and mentally. And it was this huge conversation around, do I give up on this dream? Do I not? It's, I'm, I feel so tired and so hurt. And then thinking about what are the skills and going into directing and being like, well, what are the rooms that I wish I had? as opposed to the ones I was forced into and Mm. going into that. And that led to teaching, which was and has and still is this incredible journey of, all right, well, then what can I, again, what can I change in order to to heal and fix what I think is very, very wrong in theater education? And then through that coming into painting and this natural progress of it taking over and kind of becoming my full-time job and being able to quit my day job. And I bring all of this up because I think we, we hold such a strong, what's the word? Grip. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Such like a strong grip on this, our dreams and our, ideas of what is success right and I, I posted this very silly thing on Instagram today where it was a photo a selfie I took because I was like my <laughs> hair looks good I'm gonna I'm gonna flaunt that's that that's important for a curly girl it is it is and then I I realized I was actually just really happy I was just doing I keep forgetting that what I do right now is my job. I forget that coaching performers is my job. I forget that painting a commission for someone who's going through a hard time and wants to reclaim their space is actually my job. And so much of what I do is listening. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's just become such a different way of thinking about success and thinking about career. And I've, in the last few months, I've been working really hard to get rid of the bullet points of where I want to go and what I want to be. And I guess that's a form of faith to kind of come back to what you were saying before, where I don't know what I have faith in, in terms of my career. And I'm coming to learn that I think every three years, it seems I do a really big career change (laughs) and I I decide to become a different person Um, or not a different person, but to layer on top of my skills and I, back yeah. to the painting metaphor. <laughs> back to the painting <laughs> metaphor. And it's it's kind of this really amazing thing. I think I used to really struggle with jealousy and yeah. what I deserve because I did the work. And I, I don't know, I, I was the, like the bottom of the totem pole and I always worked my way up and I got everything on my own and things never seemed to work out. And I think in the end, it's funny when I look at those things, because it's like, oh, they actually kind of did work out. Mm-hmm. They just led to a different, I hate this word, but like a different path. <laughs> I don't know why I hate that word. I just, it's I just do. It's a perfectly fine word. It's a fine <laughs> word. But I guess I'm just kind of like, maybe there isn't a path. Maybe, maybe it's, there's not a path. Maybe there's just not a path. Um, so painting really wasn't something that you did when you were younger or I, I silk screened a lot as mm. a kid. Um, I went to Frenchwood's camp for the performing oh. arts and the cat skills. Lovely. Yes. It's a crazy, crazy camp where they like have everything. stage door manner kind of thing. Yes. But for hippies. Mm. So we would have circus and visual arts and sports and lakes. Better. Oh, it was the best. And whoever is from stage door is probably <laughs> great, but we're better. <laughs> I'm just kind of joking. I love it. No, I grew up in the Midwest. So this is good. Okay. Educate okay. me on your East Coast <laughs> traditions. Oh, it's You'll go into auditions sometimes. And I always tell people, if you went to one of these camps, put it on your resume. Yeah, it's one of it's like a an alumni association. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. It's very intense. Important. Yeah, uh, but when I was there, uh, I learned to silkscreen, which is what Andy Warhol yeah. did with all the soup cans and everything, and loved it. Um, and kind of painted and took a few live figure sketch drawings, and I like spent one summer at UArts bouncing back and forth at a pre college program between musical theater and uh, taking like mono printing classes and figure classes. But painting was never, ever part of the plan. By no means. Amazing. Yeah. All because of Instagram. Yeah. Tell me about how you've used that as a tool. Sure. Because <laughs> that's pretty incredible that that's the way you've been able to get your work out there and yeah, start getting commissions and all that. Yeah, it's so I posted a picture of a pa- my first painting, mm-hmm. which is this woman. Um, and then I ended up posting the next painting I did, which was my first abstract work. And the way that that happened, I classify myself as an abstract expressionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up falling into abstract art because I was trying to then do a human figure from scratch and it did not go well. 
and then I got really angry and then I was really sad at the same time (laughs) and uh and just like the right song I guess was playing and created this thing and I was like that's actually like pretty cool I like that and then posted it and a friend of mine saw it and commissioned a painting I was like a hundred bucks after that first painting yeah he was just like I'd really I'd really love to commission a painting from you and I was like oh I don't I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Um, yeah, I definitely lost money on that painting. <laughs> um, but I was just so excited. And then after that and after posting that this was a commission, I haven't been without a commission. That's since. amazing. Yeah, and then decided to create my own, a separate Instagram account for painting. And that really set things off because all of a sudden I wasn't viewed as a multidisciplinary right. person. And tell people what that Instagram is so they can look you up. Oh, sure. It's While they're listening. Thanks. <laughs> uh, it's art underscore by underscore Sharon. S-H-A-R-O-N-E. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. And it, I think that really kind of tipped things over because you were able to go and just see a very specific side and then was able to also expose how process works and how personal it is to you and your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what also makes investing in art a little less scary. Uh, that's really important to me. That You mean showing the process? Yeah, showing the process and for you to know... So when, when I have a client, um, we'll sit down and I'll interview them, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the main questions I ask is, what is the inspiration for the painting? So that can be what you want it to evoke emotionally, or uh, it could be based on a memory or a feeling that you want in your home. And people have shared all kinds of things, like couples moving in together and wanting to have something that symbolized a space of coming together or someone who just went through a really bad breakup and they don't want to look at an empty spot on the wall where their ex-partner's work was. Uh, One person was just like, I just want something to remind me that I'm powerful and peaceful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it's uh, colors. Like, what are colors of importance or what colors are you like, if I see this, I'm going to throw up. And then uh, music. And I move to sound. So you provide the soundtrack for me. And that's what I'll have on loop while right. painting. And so just I like, love that that's, yeah. it makes it so collaborative. It does. Even though it's a solo activity. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it really does have a huge effect. Like, I, I'll get people that go, I don't know, I just want something bright. And I, I go, I can't paint. It's really, and it's hard having to ask people to really share who they are with you and uh to be as willing to be as open as possible and um before I share anything I'll always ask if it's okay for me to share that and and I always make sure to be as vulnerable as they are Mm -hmm. as well um okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can I ask yeah. what some of your favorite soundtracks were now looking back on it? Oh, man. They created a piece. The yeah. piece and the song were just so well suited. Yeah, there was this one painting in particular. I don't know why it hit so strong, but um, it was this huge, huge piece. It was six feet by six feet, and and we're painting a square is so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. It's a fun challenge, but it's just you can't. Especially when it's six feet, that's wider than my arms. So yeah. I remember being like, I don't, I do not know how to turn. <laughs> it was a, it was a comedy act you for sure. An assistant. I really did. And your cats were not being helpful. No, instead, like one, the one that's terrified of life and that I think truly regrets every day that I wake up. <laughs> he would just like <laughs> latch onto the back of it, and it was so I was so scared he was gonna poke a a hole or something. Um, but this couple who had just gotten engaged and they just bought this apartment and uh, both completely changed their lives and their careers and they kept saying, you know, I wanted, you're dreaming in gold. And it was really, really beautiful. Um, mm. And the music they gave me was Chopin's Nocturnes. Uh-huh. And I'd never just sat and listened to them as a whole. And that was, it was so beautiful and soothing and and I think there is one day in particular I remember working on this huge piece and it was such a stressful day like two different rehearsals and I was running behind and I was debating if I should quit my job at the unicorn store (laughs) like (laughs) all of these ridiculous things and I just remember sitting in front of this huge canvas and looking up and just this soft piano playing and just the way that the colors came out was so subtle and it ended up being incredibly powerful mm-hmm. when taking a step back um that was great and there's one amazing pair that they kept talking about where they want witchy vibes in their home and so they gave me maggie rogers to listen to the whole time and that was that was just a blast <laughs> dancing oh it was so great (laughs) but yeah yeah what's it like for you when you're um, coaching and directing Mm. to to be working with artists who are in like that very beginning of their career Mm. I'm always curious you know like when we teach or when we give people advice it kind of makes us turn around and have to listen to it a little bit ourselves (laughs) yeah do you have any um favorite things that you like to tell your young students oh yeah oh I feel like I have to think about this I might spew a little bit that's okay but I something that's really important to me as a teacher and as a director um is to really help you understand that your process is going to be different from anyone else's. And I think so much of the beginning of your career is understanding really what your process is, 
be it how you prepare for an audition or how you let go of an audition or uh, how you deal with pressure and anxiety, I, I think so much of what happens to young performers is they leave the bubble of acting school and conservatory or whatever your training is and you suddenly don't have the mat under you anymore. You don't have that small pool of people as much. Everyone starts getting busy or tired or, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really try to help actors know that what you experienced there was not law as well. What you had in school is not who you have to be. And yeah, I think just so much of training at different schools are about fitting into the thing that is being offered to you because that is technically what you're paying for. Um, but then I think you leave and suddenly without the constant reminders as to what those techniques are and what those ideas are and what you were typed as, because how many amazing young actors do you know only played 50 year old women in school? (laughs) And it's kind of like, Oh, you, you have to figure out how to be your age now. Yeah. And you have to know how to prepare a side by yourself. Um, and so the big, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing as I say, just keep experimenting it's just that the work is different now and funny enough the the work really is about you and how you choose to come into the room I know that's so typical where everyone's like bring yourself to the scene and it's like yes obviously bring yourself to the work but I think you also have to bring your process to the work and I just think we get really tied up and scared and that's when we start entering the phases of am I doing it right am I giving them what they want right yeah and it's like you know there's so many things I could say around you know you you don't know what they want and you have no idea how your way of working might be the magical thing that changes their whole idea of the production right I've had that happen to me so many times when I've been behind the table casting and I thought I had a complete idea of what I wanted that character to be, the concept of the show, the whole thing. And this one actor came in and blew me away. And I was like, I have to change everything. But Mm. I need to work with this performer. They understand something in this role that I don't. And I don't know what that is, but I want to discover it. And just knowing that you have that kind of power, if you're in front of the right person and it is just about trusting your work and your process and how you choose to prepare yeah or not prepare I don't know (laughs) some people need to wing it I have no idea and like you do you absolutely just know then how to stay consistent later yeah and just be nice that's like really my biggest piece of advice that I can give anyone is just be a good person don't be a dick (laughs) great advice it's really (laughs) you'd be shocked like I've had people I worked at the drama bookshop for seven years that's right I wanted to ask you about that too oh yeah Mm. oh fascinating people watching here we are so much people watching and I've had people be horrible to me I'm sure yeah and I I was one of the people theater people theater oh terrible (laughs) terrible they can really that's awful be entitled monsters and I think not everyone, but I think there was something about the drama bookshop, and I was... I seven was, years. Seven years. Jeez. 
I know. I started when I was, I just turned 19. I just turned 19. Um, and I just really, I happened to walk in on the day that someone uh, was deported <laughs> and they needed to replace the oh employee. And I was like, I'll do it. I like literally raised my hand in the air and I was like, I want to, I want to apply. And they're like, all right, what do you know? And they, they would put you through this crazy gig, like this test, uh-huh. this wild, wild test of things that you'd have to do to, or questions that customers might ask. So you're basically becoming a librarian. Absolutely. <laughs> In theater. Um, and there were some, and I just knew because I would read more plays than books and started reading like a play a week since I was in seventh grade. And, uh, and it would be like, oh, do you know the play? It's called A Sugar Plum. And I think they thought the trick was that the whole title is It's Called. And one person they wrote down asked, like, is this anus of God rather than Agnes of God? <laughs> and it was really fun because I didn't really have to use the computer for any of it. Um, and the day that I won over this one employee who now passed, Bill Martin, but someone was like, oh, it's like it's about this woman and she was she's like being kidnapped and she's tied up with this guy and I was like oh that's that Ariel Dorfman play and they, and they were like is it Death of the Maiden right and I'm like yes <laughs> and I was just like cool I'm I am the I'm here and I'm doing it <laughs> um but it was a it was a wild wild time and over the years I became really proficient in helping people find monologues and mm-hmm. then I became very known for helping people find their scenes for their college showcases uh, and I would spend at so many hours with actors going through plays and showing them monologues and and it's amazing which people who was very grateful versus the ones that were like mm, I don't know. And it's so infuriating because honestly, no one cares what monologue you do. Just do something that you like and actually shows who you are as a performer. It's, no one believes me when I say that. But, <laughs> like truly no one cares. Everyone can do Emily from our town. Just do it well. You know, that's what I, when I auditioned for undergrad at the University of Evansville, I mm-hmm. did, I, guys, I was homeschooled before that. So I did not have like a theater program. No. To like funneled people into schools telling me what to do right and so I did a Juliet monologue the absolute potion like the <gasps> good poison, monologue poison monologue and then I did Neil Simon's Star Spangled Girl yeah which I found at the library right I had never done a contemporary play did not know it was one of the most done yeah monologues and the one of the women one of the teachers there would always like brought that up in the future about auditions because she was like Leah Walsh came in and did <laughs> fucking Julia oh and Star Spangled Girl. And it was okay. She did them well. And she, she did, did them, them well. Her own way. Yeah. Just don't like, bring in a monologue about the things that you know will make people uncomfortable. Mm. Just come in with work that speaks to you and that you that you can do when you know you're at your worst. That's it. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Hmm. I have this one piece that I love, that I honestly give everybody, but it's a piece from the play Marcus is Walking. Um, I don't know that. It's a sweet play by Joan Ackerman. Uh, it's actually a, a male-identified monologue um, for the character Henry, but I was obsessed with it. And it's bumbly and nervous, but brainy. 
And then it finds its calm halfway through the piece. And I loved that. That's kind of perfect for an audition when you're feeling anxious or buzzy at the beginning. (laughs) And I knew, and it was a great blank slate monologue, so I knew how to adjust it for different auditions. It could be very serious or it could be very funny. And I was like, great. Hmm. I can really, I can walk in and have had food poisoning for the last four days and a limp and I'll still feel great. (laughs) And that's kind of what was success to me. Um, And that's, that's like such a huge, yeah. And and the, the thing that was crazy to me at the bookshop, <laughs> trying to loop it all together, um, was then the people that were real jerks who really treated you like you were supposed to work for them or give them material and then would get pissy at you if you gave them things they didn't like. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm giving you something after talking to you for three minutes. I'm coming at it from the point of view of a director that's meeting you for the first time, giving you material. Um, and then they would walk into an audition for something I was directing a week later <laughs> with the monologue that I gave them. And this one... That happened? Oh, so many times. Oh my gosh. So, repeatedly. Repeatedly. Wow. And when I was directing Jesus Hop the A-Train, that... Mm-hmm. Everyone. <laughs> it was... It was like a line of people that I had given monologues to. And it never came up in the store when they asked for your help. No, no. Absolutely not. And there was one girl who was maybe one of the worst customers I'd ever dealt with. She bumped into me in the bathroom. And she's like, you look so familiar. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, uh, we've met, actually. And she's like, oh, really? Like I just I don't remember where, and I was like, oh, I actually I worked at the drama I work at the drama bookshop, and I helped you find your monologue. And she was like, oh, okay. And she looked me up and down. Definitely had an opinion about the skirt I was wearing, <laughs> and she didn't know that I was gonna be in the room that she was about to audition for. Oh my god! And then she walked in, and I remember seeing her face just drop. And the sad part is, is she was really talented. Yeah, but she not was not someone you're going to want to work with. Not for the someone next month. I am ever going to work with. Oof. Ever. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Well, it's a good thing you knew that about her before you truly. saw her audition. Oh, it was a great little. So be nice key. to people. Be nice. Everybody. Just, just be, be kind. nice. Be kind. <laughs> be gracious. Be gracious. Especially to people that want to help you in this industry. Mm. And I think that a lot of people can be harsh and cruel because, and I think being someone that is an educator, it's very easy to take for granted how much people actually depend on you and your advice. Um, And it's very easy to become flippant and Mm -hmm. a harsh critic as opposed to a giving critic. Because as a teacher, you have to criticize. Right. Um, and you're coming with it, whatever baggage you had that day of your yeah. life and your day and your subway ride. And Yes. <laughs> yeah. And when you're in that position as a student, it's like you're totally invested. Yeah. Yeah. And like you pay money to be there. Mm-hmm. And money is such a thing. It can definitely bring people into such a dark space. Yeah. Right. And just what is finances and I'm not making money the way that I... I want to be and now I'm spending it on more classes and more coaching Mm -hmm. and I just I try really really hard to be conscious of that 
And then also to let actors know, don't take classes for a little while. You don't need it. <laughs> like, stop. Just audition. But fear is a real thing. So It is. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, like, the financial aspect, mm. since you've kind of, you were able to quit your day job and you've been focusing on the painting, how have you been figuring out the business side of it, of suddenly basically being a business owner? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you do when tax time comes? And like, how have you been learning about all of that? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really strange thing. This is going to be my first year really dealing with the tax stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, I've always just given all the forms for all of my other jobs. I usually right. have three to eight W-2s or 1099s or something to (laughs) hand in and then I owe just so much money to the government um all and now this year where it's I don't really have any of those except for one um and the rest it's it's just being a freelancer and I learned that if you have a job that isn't necessarily uh not it's not legal but that isn't documented uh-huh. uh i pay quarterly taxes no matter what oh. so each quarter of the year i pay 500 and then i either will get back what i hmm. that i overpaid or they request if i need to give more um but it's like a really great nifty thing for people that freelance uh that way you're not surprised right at the end of the year right it's as long as you are paying taxes, you're safe. And that's been a really interesting thing. And like, I'm trying to keep track of all my receipts mm-hmm. uh, and debating if I actually should even write things off, um, which maybe sounds crazy. Which, well, which isn't as much of a thing now, right? With the new right. tax laws. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> things that I also am totally just... change for actors too. Right. And so I think it's... Honestly, the biggest thing that I'm thinking now is how do I get into the next, how do I build my business more? Right. What's the next level? Yeah. And I've been really lucky and I'm freelancing with uh, these wonderful agents suddenly. I had no idea that there were art agents. Who knew? (laughs) Really? Truly who knew? Um, And that all happened because they saw a painting of mine in the photo of a friend's house. Or they were just like, that's a cool painting. Who did that? And he was showing them their couch, his couch. That's amazing. Yeah, it's very strange. But it was so interesting now speaking to them where they're just like, you got to get up your visibility. You have to think about how to get into that next price margin as a painter, which is tricky because so much of what I do is about being an affordable painter. Right. Um, but I would like to be in the next <laughs> bracket. Uh, so how would I figure out to manage a business that can offer both? What would be commercial versus private? Um, and I think that that's kind of what I said. If I'm going to commit to this, I'm going to take these next six months and really figure out what my business plan is. Just because I really didn't think, I think I said this earlier, but I really didn't think until up until about three months ago that this would be a my job job. Right. And suddenly it's been able to fully support me how are you approaching making that business plan are you just brainstorming by yourself are you looking are you 
gleaning from other resources or do you have mentors that you're talking to? I wish I had a mentor. I really, really do. I think they're so important. I definitely have had theater mentors, but I've never had a visual arts mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have a therapist, but I don't have a mentor. (laughs) Also very important. (laughs) Also very important. Um, But I think I'm, I'm trying to see... I think because painting has come at such a bizarre way and I think that I I'm kind of saying maybe <laughs> oh, this is so silly um <laughs> I, maybe like I don't try to learn the rules yeah and I think that I'm kind of thinking where do I want to be visible who do I have interest in collaborating with and uh and just seeing what comes from there so I've been researching different art forums and I kind of want to avoid the gallery world a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that's just not how I operate. Because I'm just so personal. Yeah. Like, I would love to work with an architect and, like, create work with them as they're building. For the space. Exactly. Like, mm. that would be a dream. Like, being able to speak with someone from the ground up. What do we want this home, this environment, this space yeah. to really feel like... Um, I was a live painter at a wedding last month where they just hired me to be at the ceremony and at the, the wedding and be able to paint based off the music and the words and the emotion and uh, thinking about, okay, how can I promote that? And it's such a fun idea. Yeah. And it was so magical and so emotional and, uh, and the couple really, really loved it. And so I think it's all of a sudden you know, the only business I know is theater. <laughs> so I'm almost thinking, all right, how do I almost promote myself like a performer, but instead as a visual artist? Because for now, that is the business plan that I know and that I've always kind of worked off of. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had a more solid way to answer that, but I think it's just no, about... That's a great answer. Yeah, just trial and error. And now that you have these agents too, they can kind of help you with the whatever important right. rules you do need to follow. Yeah. And, and there's <laughs> business wise. Totally. And it's like, all right, how do I make sure my work doesn't get stolen or copied or right. like, which as we something. were talking about before we started recording. Right. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. And there's a part of me that wants to be like, I know I need to have better photographs of my work, but I'm also like, maybe I don't because then no one can steal it. <laughs> like if the quality is just well, not good enough. That, I mean, Instagram. Right. That's they what it is. I mean, pe- there are prof- people who use professional photographers, right. and influencers or whatever, but it's also just about people being able to use their phone and yeah. put their lives up there. So Right. And honestly, I guess it's also, I mean, who doesn't steal, right? Like at least ideas or inspiration mm-hmm. or, and maybe I need to, to change the word steal, unless like a big company actually just stole right. my artwork. That's like a different. Printed it all over bedspreads or whatever. Right. Hmm. <laughs> so many thoughts about that. Uh, but I think just, I love the idea of my work inspiring people. And like, I've had a bunch of people approach me and ask if they can paint with me because they've never painted before. And they're just like, it seems like friends or strangers, mostly friends. But I recently had some strangers ask me about doing workshops which I, I don't even know how I would approach doing a painting workshop. 
Um, but I'm curious to maybe figure that out. And yeah, I guess just if, if my work does make people want to try this other, this tactile form of dealing yeah. with what's going on, then great. Um, it's just such Exciting. a funny thing. It's cool. It's cool. Uh. It's strange. <laughs> it's so strange as I sit in a living room of my work, but it's just. I love it. Oh, thanks. Um. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are there any lessons that you've learned in the last couple of years that you're really proud of? Mm. It could be small things or big things. Yeah. I think hmm. I think that I I know that I mentioned the patience thing before um, but I also think this came out of relearning what patience means for me but also owning time that I need for myself. Mm. I think that I spend a lot of time taking care of a lot of other people and I'm, I'm happy to do that. And I love that I'm, gosh, I hope this doesn't all sound cocky or whatever, but I, I really love being a friend that people feel like they can call. And I think I hold my doors open a little too much sometimes and that's hurt me in my dating life and in my day-to-day friendships. And mm. it's a real blessing and a curse having that kind of open door policy and patience. And uh, where I think I actually, for a while, started becoming a really poor listener because I was just always like, all right, funnel, funnel away. And I actually feel like I stopped being a good friend for a while, even though I was open Right. Yeah. Um, And so in the last year in particular, I've been trying really hard to, to be able to say, all right, I, you know what? I actually just need this evening by myself or I need this morning to myself or. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's hard. That's really hard to do. I think I get really scared of being obsolete or unimportant Mm. to people. In particular, I'm weirdly okay with becoming obsolete now in my job. Um, I think like life has taken a little bit more importance to me than career, which I never thought I would say. Um, it's kind of a wonderful thing to be able to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's trippy. It's nice though, but um, it is a, a funny thing when I'm suddenly like, oh yeah, I just like I'm I'm o- I'm okay. I wanna think about those other things in life yeah (laughs) um and then but I think through that I suddenly am very scared of oh but if I'm not there for them then someone else will be there for them and then suddenly will they not need me will they not want want me like what does that mean and I think that I 
burn myself out then emotionally. And instead of just trusting that right your relationship is there, it's going to be there no right. matter what. Yeah, and like owning that the things that yeah. you have built and the care that you've put out there does read volumes. And like small things make a really, really big difference. Mm-hmm. One of my really good friends who's this brilliant performer and I love her so much. Uh, and she, if I'm having a bad day, she will have a box of cereal and seltzer delivered to my home. <laughs> and it's, oh my God. And it's really, I'm stealing that. You should. <laughs> and it's usually because she's only in New York, only in New York. Can you have <laughs> Grubhub or seamless just bring happiness Aww, to your door. That's so sweet. Yeah. And it's taught me like, oh, there's also ways to be there for people without having to be 100% present. Yeah. Um, we're talking like before this, how sometimes your 30% is as important as your 100%. Yes. And it's like, oh yeah, that can totally... It might be all that's needed. It's like all that's needed. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's the biggest lesson. And that's just come out of that waiting for paint to dry method of like, I have to I have to let things settle or else I become a person I actually don't like being. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, I was curious about your family if mm. like if anyone else was a creative in your family or how they have reacted to your your choices to be an artist. <laughs> yeah. So I my family do they still live in the city? Yes. My parents are still in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. They're just about 14 blocks away from here. Amazing. I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah. We, we've never... Excuse me. We've never bumped into each other in the street. Really? Until this past Tuesday where my mom and I were in the same class at the gym. Oh my goodness. So that was fun. For the first time For ever. the first time ever. And she whipped my ass <laughs> dear god she's just so much stronger than me that it's embarrassing and wonderful good job mom i'm like you get it you get it mom um yeah my family's a funny is a really funny thing to me because uh, while i have grandparents and aunts and uncles they're all still in israel mm. um and the only ones in America are my mom, my dad, my sister, and her kids, and I. Uh, and my sister and I are 12 years apart. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and my only sibling. And so art, I've heard that there are there was an opera singer somewhere back in the day. Because um, I'm a singer, and mm-hmm. I think that it's always very confusing to my family how and where that comes from um but my dad plays a ton of instruments uh and my mom has recently come back to sculpting she made the the woman that's up on that shelf yeah uh but they're both in computer software and are like highly technical and really brilliant business people but since i was really little they've just so deeply believed in me as an artist and did everything they could to help me. Um, when it was performing, they, you know, we officially moved, we were splitting time between Manhattan and Jersey and they 
We're like, if you can figure out how to get into a performing arts high school, we'll move to New York full time. And we did. Wow. Uh, yeah. And I was in and out of schools and conservatories. And because of the issues that I had with those schools, I ended up leaving each of them. Right. So I dropped out of four different colleges. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Here we be. <laughs> um, and each one, they're like, okay, great. Let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. That's wonderful that yeah. they were there for you. Yeah. And I think they, they so believed in in my talent and my abilities, which was sometimes really hard to deal with because uh, I just kept feeling like I was letting them down in a way. Yeah. Um, and then when directing kind of happened, they were so excited and I'd invited them to come be in a into my rehearsals to actually see what I do. And when my mom went to school and she was before they moved to America, uh, cause they immigrated here 35 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And my mom studied, uh, family psychology and it was so cool. Her seeing what my job was and being like, Oh wow, you do what I do. And even though she doesn't do it anymore or right. never really got to pursue it, but there, I think there's, it's, yeah, it's not completely that removed. removed yeah. yeah. Just like, how do you, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, <laughs> excuse me. How do you listen to people? And then how do you bring action to that? Mm. And then how do you create that larger visual and that space to have something grow? Yeah. Um, and then, but it, I like, I feel like I'm making this sound so dreamy, but then there were times it was really hard where then they would be like, so like, what are you doing? What's happening? Like, we love you. And I alluded to this before, but like when I was performing, I unfortunately had a this awful manager who was purposely throwing me under the table. Oh, no. um, she gave me like a really bad rap in the industry because she saw me as competition for her daughter, which was really uh, complicated. And I didn't know that. And it was years I'd be given the wrong materials or I don't know if I was actually given the right feedback. I could have booked something and I don't even know. And it was her assistant that ended up telling me. And then I got an agent. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. And then I got an agent on my own out of doing a nymph show. Uh And I booked a a good old theater works tour and got that equity card. Frankie did that right before Juilliard. Yep. Yep. We've all kind of done it, (laughs) haven't we? Um, lots of feelings about... No, I've heard, I've heard all the stories. Yeah. Um, and the day I got back from tour, I truly stepped out of the van and got a call from my agent and he retired and then he died a week later. So... Oh my God. (laughs) It was a real... And it was like a crazy five years. Jeez. Right out of high school and I was trying to work... Professionally, you had that manager right out of high school. Yeah, she saw me play Mama Rose in Gypsy <laughs> my senior year, uh, and took me on. And it was, it was wild because I, I worked really hard in high school and it was a performing arts school and it was really vigorous and intense. Um, and then I was waitlisted at every school I applied for and I didn't get in anywhere. Mm. So that was a bizarre experience of just 
And I, I also only applied to the major schools, right? I did not apply to any kind of safety school. Right. Um, so it was really cool knowing that I was waitlisted at these programs, but uh, it, it was a strange thing of the world crumbling a little bit. And right. then... That's the next step here. Right. And it's like, all right, well, I'll just work professionally. And then working professionally crumbled a little more. Um, and just knowing how supportive my family was in that time and how understanding they were. There was never a moment that they were like, were you not as good as we thought you were? Which was really wonderful. Well, especially since this woman was gaslighting you. Right. But we didn't know that for so long. Right. But the fact yeah. that they always were on your side and didn't... Yeah. I don't know what the situation would have been, but weren't like, well, <laughs> no she's saying this, you know? Right. Right. Enter George. Um, Cat visitor. Yes. He's fluffy king of the apartment. <laughs> Uh, named for George Surratt, but really for Sunday in the Park with George, so I could sing yeah. songs with his name. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> and no, no. Uh, sorry, he was just trying to eat the wires because he's a cat. Um, yeah, and then what's actually been really interesting, when painting really started coming in, they, they've been really excited about it. And I think it's because it's the first source of real income that I've had where I'm not working lots. I mean, I've had some random jobs, <laughs> some really <laughs> deeply random, random yeah. jobs. Um, and I think they're just so excited to be like, oh, the work that you're doing is actually recognized. And like, we believe in you and it's nice to see other people believe in you. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. wonder if part of it, I'm just guessing here is also that it's like a tangible thing. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously if they were yeah. to see you in a show, that is its own kind of tangible thing, but yeah. it disappears after it's done. And like, right. Well, and my dad hates abstract art, <laughs> right? He hates it. It's, it's really something that he could care less about, but he appreciates what I do. And I think he's been working to actually look at the artwork and he'll still look at something and be like, I see a map or I see a fisherman and he's throwing, like he'll work very hard yeah. to find something. Um, but there, it's funny him slowly coming around and being like, Oh, I actually like that one or that one feels off. And it reminds me of, like, with my mom, how when she would see more and more shows with me, she would start to have an opinion about theater. Right. Uh, and that's been really, really special and really exciting. Well, that's uh, lovely. Yeah. They're really good people. I'm very, very grateful to them. Uh, yeah. And it can be overwhelming, but it's great. Okay. Two quick questions. Yeah. Just to wrap everything up. If you do find yourself in, in the dark side and you're mm. feeling uninspired or stuck or whatever it is, are there any tangible things that you turn to over and over, like a certain book or a certain music or something like that? Mm. Yeah. Uh, there are two novels that I deeply, deeply love. Um, one. <laughs> Kat is trying to join the conversation. She really is. Come here, baby. I know. Cookies are so exciting. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to hold him. I'm just going to cradle him. 
Almost there, and then you can take back over. So close. We're so close, George. Uh, so every December, I read The Giver. Okay. Mm-hmm. Every single December. Um, but then sometimes if things are feeling kind of blue or down, I'll come back to it. Uh, I love that. Yeah. It's one of a few literary tattoos, and they're all for books that mean a lot to me. Um, I can also go back to Stoner by John Williams. I have not read that one. Oh, I really... I recommend it. Okay. It's beautiful. It's very sad. Uh, but I think I, the insignificance of it is such a beautiful reminder that even if you feel insignificant, you could still have a huge mm. impact on the world. Um, there's a album called Rice Boy Sleeps by Jonesy and Alex. Mm. Uh, it's only instrumental. And that, for some reason, always kind of sets me right. And then Parks and Rec. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I really love Parks and Rec. It's a great one. Yeah, I fall asleep to it almost <laughs> most nights. And it's it's just a show about people trying really hard. <laughs> and yeah. I think that that's... There's a lot of hope and so much friendship. Hope. And yes, and they're like my friends. Aww. It's nice. Oh. Friends, waffles work, or waffles, friends work. <laughs> Doesn't matter, but work is third. And that's just always really nice. Because, you know, sometimes if you are in a dark place, reading can be really hard or yeah, to focus. Yeah. Um, and then the last question is Have you seen anything recently of any art form that you want to recommend? Mm. Seen, read, heard? Mm. Oh, me, oh, my. Uh, I I really love going I'm so sorry. <laughs> George uh, is attacking my backpack. It's okay. Yeah. Good. Uh so I really love uh <laughs> Dia Beacon. I still have never been there. Every time yeah. a friend goes and posts about it on Instagram, I'm like, oh, I need to go. It looks so cool. But very specifically, the Richard Serra exhibit. Those huge Those walls. Huge, yeah, because you can go inside of them. Yeah. And what I so deeply love is when you walk inside of each of these sculptures, the way that the air shifts or the way mm. sound shifts is really... It's magic. It's really, really magical. Um, and I think about it all the time. Hmm. Such a simple thing can so deeply shift your core. And they're beautiful. They're these like oranges and these rusts. And um, yeah, I really, really recommend that. Richard Serra <laughs> at Dia Beacon. That's a great recommendation. Thanks. <laughs> well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this and yeah. taking me into your home. Oh, so well, nice. It's really nice having you. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. Anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. 
Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. Check out The Compass Podcast on broadwaypodcastnetwork.com and thecompasspodcast.com. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.